Hello and welcome to Subway Cinema. I'm Dennis. And I'm Bonnie. And we are here to talk about our 67th Best Picture winner. Not the 67th one we're talking about, but it's ranked 67 on this list I made. But for more about that, you can check out our trailer episode. Yes, this completely unbiased slash partially biased. Yeah, it's just um, something put together that's roughly, it's just has been averaged roughly the 67th best. That's right. Best picture winner. Yes, Although with the magic algorithm. I might, well, we might dispute that later when we get to talking about it. Okay, what? What year is Mrs. Miller? It was 1962, right? 62. No, sorry. <laughs> I'm way off. Yeah. It was 1942. Right. <laughs> yes. So what's your background with Mrs. Miller? Yeah, um, I had never heard, I'd never even heard of it. I had no... <sighs> Nothing. I had no. You just gave me the title, mm-hmm. and I uh, found out it was 1942. Even though I said it was yes. 62, so you <laughs> clearly know. Huh? Yeah, I knew yeah. nothing about it. I didn't know if it was a silent movie or <laughs> if it was from last year. I had no idea. Uh, well, I this was my third time seeing it. I uh, watched it. I think just after college, so like in my early twenties, and then. About uh, six or so years ago, I did a marathon on the 1940s movies. Watched it there, and then I watched it again the other day. Uh, So, why don't we start off with the year that it came out? Um, Yeah, because that was an issue. Yeah. I mentioned you. Oh, right. Well, the elephant in the room here is that if you look up 1942 in film, what's going to be the first thing that comes up? Was Casablanca. Right. Right. I, I, I personally didn't know what year it was, but when I told my oldest daughter, who's Laura, in her yeah. early 30s now, Laura, yeah, she right away said, oh, 1942, that's Casablanca. And I was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> but now I'm confused because I yes. do know, I don't know a lot of, I maybe know a handful of um, Academy Award Winners, but I know that one won. Right? Yeah, it did. Yeah, so what's it won the that? next year. So what happened was it, it it is a 1942 movie that it was released in a limited release at the end of the year, or actually in November. So you know, not, not even that close to the end of the year. Uh, but it was it had been scheduled from Warner Brothers to open in '43, oh. um, but the Allies. Um, this is during World War Two. Uh, that's uh, probably gonna come up a lot in this uh, podcast in this episode. But the Allies invaded Northern Africa, and so the the city of Casablanca was in the news. So they did a release in New York. I think it was New York and L.A. You know, by the Academy's current rules, I think that would qualify it to play in that year's Oscars. But at least in the rules back then, it didn't qualify until 1943. So, so a question I have is: If the movie was ready, why were they planning a 1943 release? Do you have that in other movies? Um, yeah, I, mean, I guess well, we just I mean, had that with um, Top Gun. Oh well, yeah, that was that was <laughs> delayed years. Yeah, um, well, a pandemic is one reason that wasn't there. But I mean, that was, that that's very common. It? I mean, the studios are strategic in planning out their release dates, and I don't, I don't really don't know what the reason was there, but uh, there's several reasons to do that. Obviously, it was finished, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know for okay. Casablanca, but so for Casablanca at least they were planning on otherwise, but since it was timely, and yeah, released, I mean it might have been planned for forty three to avoid going up against Mrs. Miniver. but I mean we'll we'll talk yeah. about maybe after we discuss the movie. Yeah. Uh, it'd be a fun discussion to say what would have won if they went head to head. So yeah, there's we're not going to be talking about Casablanca this episode, but we will. Probably in a long time. So let's take a look at, well, the, the 
the, this is like right in the middle of the war, World War II. The U.S. just entered it actually at the end of 41. So, uh, and the war wasn't going well at the time. So, uh, that's going to inform a lot of what we talk about with this movie in particular, but it's probably not surprising then that four of the year's Best Picture nominees, there were 10 this year, four of them, including Mrs. Miniver, were World War II movies. Yeah, we Uh, talked about that before. It's mm -hmm. crazy to put ourselves in Uh, the time frame. Yeah. You know, since we already know what's going to happen, but that was... You know, they didn't know yeah. who, who was going to win. Right. The future of civilization. I mean, it's just not like it's... Yeah. Or at least... I mean, it's one thing to, like, be in that stage in, like, World War One, where it's like, okay, the war's going to end, and these struggles are we're just not going to be at war anymore. You right. know, they didn't think that's going... The outcome is going to change civilization as we know it, which I think a lot of people felt at this time. Right. But um, it could have been yeah. like, you know, you hear about the Ottoman Empire taking oh, over yeah. this whole area of the world. It could have been this whole German Empire that to take over, you know, all of this area of Europe and just mm-hmm. change things as we know. The other, so the other, the other three more movies that were nominated against Mrs. Miniver were um, the 49th Parallel. Pied Piper and Wake Island. Yeah. Heard of any of those? No. Um, Although I have heard of those terms. Yes. I can imagine that the 49th parallel has to do with sort of that, that line and the invisible line. Oh, it's yeah. parallel. Yeah. Um, well, that's it's the latitude, the 49th yeah. parallel. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I didn't even know that. Yeah. And uh, Pied Piper, I've heard of the Pied Piper. Yes. And I've heard so, Wake Island. Yeah, well, Wake Island was... I actually didn't know until I saw the movie. It was, yeah, it was a, a siege, really, that um, after the attack on Pearl Harbor, the Japanese also invaded a small island that was controlled by Americans. I think it's kind of halfway between Hawaii and Guam. Okay, so not to be ignorant, but the yeah, attack I didn't on Pearl know. Harbor, that's like 1941. Yeah. It's December of mm-hmm. 1941. Yeah, right? December the 7th. Yeah, that's right, the 7th, day that right. lives in infamy. infamy. So December 7th, 1941, and Wake Island is after that? Uh, it started the same day. It started yeah, the it same day. Yeah, it was like a, 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 the next prong, I guess. And attack. so then there's a movie on Wake Island that comes mm-hmm. out within 12 months. Within 12 months, right. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. Okay. Basically, the, the Japanese ended up taking over Wake Island, but it took them, the Marines were really outnumbered, and they held out for about three three or four weeks, so that was kind of demoralizing to the Japanese that they held out for so long. That should have been an easy takeover, I guess. And so that's basically the premise of the movie, is it has a um, an unfortunate ending, but it's uh, about kind of the bravery of the Marines. In fact, the text that comes over the start of the movie, it, it, the, that part doesn't really age well because it, it mentions like how Americans aren't used to losing at war, um, but there have been times that we've suffered defeat and it shows our resolve or what have you. And then it cites like, like Valley Forge, of course, and then the um, Custer's Last Stand as a time where even though we were defeated that we showed the world what, what we're made of. And I, I don't think they would cite that reference <laughs> yeah. we now. Them, huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah. There, other, that right. <laughs> Uh, other than that, you know, Wake Island's kind of an intense little war movie. The Robert Preston, isn't it? You know, okay, the yeah, music, music Man. Music Man. Yeah. Okay. He it's is tw- the music man. He is the music man, yeah. He's 20 yeah. years younger here. Okay. Strapping okay. young Marine. Okay. Um, so the Pied Piper has, uh, it's not about the fairy tale. But the reason it gets its name is it's about a British man who's vacationing in... France, like the France-Switzerland border, and when the Nazis invade 
and he's, he has to get back to England. Some people there beg him to take their children with him back to England. And on his way, they encounter other abandoned children. And so he kind of accumulates orphans, well, not orphans, but abandoned children as he goes. So that's what, that's where the Pied Piper refers to. And you've seen that movie? I did. And are those, when you say abandoned, were they abandoned or were the parents like take our kids so that they don't? Yeah, the parent, and it, it, it varies based on the kids. Okay. So um, they meet some on the way where they just don't know, you know, the town's yeah. been bombed or whatever, oh, and they just don't yeah. know where their parents are. Wow, that's and, like a very yeah. intense movie. Yeah, it's on YouTube. Okay. Yeah, Roddy McDowell is the one of the older kids. Andy McDowell? No. <laughs> Roddy, I don't think Andy McDowell is born yet. <laughs> Roddy McDowell um, is probably most famous for being one of the apes on Planet of the Apes. Oh, the okay. Um, so, yeah, that's the Pied Piper. Um, and it, it is striking because it's very, the movie is very clear about what, how, what particular danger is presented to Jewish children. Interesting. So, yeah. yeah, it's uh, wow. Yeah, it, it's it's definitely worth seeing. It hasn't really. I don't know these other war movies have seemed to have aged particularly well, but uh, or, or I shouldn't say that they're they're they don't seem to be much remembered. But but there seems to be. You said that was four of the four of the four, including Mrs. Miniver. Four, including Mrs. Miniver. That were war. World War Two related. World War Two. So, mm-hmm. like present day, Mrs. Miniver, we'll get to it. But I know right. that has like a message at the end. Sounds. Oh like yeah, Wake I think this is definitely. Yeah. 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 yeah all, really all of them really do. The last one is the Forty Ninth Parallel. The Forty Ninth Parallel is the latitude that divides Canada and the United States. I think for most of the border. So the premise of that is that it actually was made before the United States entered the war. And it was, the story is about a U-boat that runs ashore in Hudson Bay. And the Nazis that are stranded there try to get through Canada to the United States. So because at the time, the U.S. was neutral and Canada was with England, right? As a combat, as a so, so let's yes, the Canadians were dangerous to them, but the Americans were safe. <laughs> but they were Nazis, so we don't like the right. the, the the. So I that the, one had I, the message was beware the Nazis. They're yeah, they could come over. You actually yes. think you're safe, but they're gonna. Mm-hmm. But this one had the intent of this is the 49th parallel. 49th parallel. 49th parallel. So, the, have you ever seen Yankee Doodle Dandy? Don't think so. Have I ever seen that before? I don't know that you have. You should see it. Okay. It's the it's a musical biography of George M. Cohen. But he wrote patriotic music for okay. the your Grand Old Flag. Okay. Uh, the uh, that's about the title song, Yankee Doodle Dandy. He's played by James Cagney. All right. I've you know him. He's. Um, Mobster. Yeah. Yeah. Also, he does have some, uh, a song and dance background too. Yeah. And this is one of his few. (laughs) Yeah. This is one of his few song and dance (laughs) movies, but he's great. It's just Uh, the image of him. Have I ever seen him in a movie? Yeah. Okay. Uh, You've seen Angels with Dirty Faces? Where, yeah, the kids are a couple hoodlums and like one gets caught and the other one doesn't and the one turns out to be a priest and the other one turns out to be a, a life of crime. You did see it. Okay. Yeah, and then like the, then the story takes place when they're adults and one's a priest and okay. one's a criminal, but it's like one kind of escaped that world because okay. he didn't the get caught is that the day. One who didn't get caught and. Yeah. Yeah, I think I need to see that one again. That's great. It's so, so good. Do they have scenes like on a street? 
Yes. <laughs> yes, there are seats on the street. Yes, Mrs. Miniver has a street in it, too. <laughs> Wake Island does not. I don't think there are any there streets in Wake not. Island. Okay, so but the rest of them do. <laughs> yes. King's Row, uh, just to go to what the next nominee, is... Uh, has nothing to do with the war. It was, uh, takes place at the turn of the century. It's kind of like a bunch of young adults coming of age in a small town. Um, in the US. Lots of, yes. Yeah. Like, um, I don't so even know of the city. King's Row is just the name of the town. Oh. Small town. Okay. Um, and yeah, there's like a lot of dramas that happen. There's like a, a plot twist like halfway through that really Threw me for a loop. But really? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I was not expecting that. Anybody so in it's it? good. Uh, well, yeah, someone, oh, there's a, one of the stars we later became president of the United States. Oh, okay. Do you uh, know who that is? Ronald Reagan. Guess? Ronald Reagan. Yes. Okay. Uh, so this is probably is one of his better that? performers. Mm-hmm. He's kind of like the jock. Really. Okay, the, that makes sense. The, yeah. I don't think I've seen him in any movies. I know of him as Newt New Rockne, Rockne, Notre yeah. Dame Newt Rockne, mm-hmm. and uh, Mr. Bedtime for Bonzo. Bedtime for Bonzo. He was yes. in that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I don't have any idea what that was about. Bonzo was a monkey, right? Yeah, Bonzo okay. was a monkey. I haven't seen that. He was. Okay, so uh, Ronald Reagan was in the King's Town. King's he, Row. King's Row. King's Row, yeah. As far as I think, this is probably his best performance. Okay. It's pretty good in it. Um, it's probably like the, maybe my least favorite of these nominees, but it's, it's pretty good. This is actually, uh, not a bad year. The Magnificent Ambersons. Yeah. It's, it's terrific. That's, uh, really? yeah, that's the Orson Welles follow up to, okay. to Citizen Kane. Oh, the so next when year, was Citizen King? 1941. Oh, so an immediate follow-up. Yeah, immediate follow-up. The, this is like taking Booth. the story of Rosebud. and. There's nothing to do with Citizen King. It's based on the Booth Tarkington novel, The Magnificent Ambersons. It's okay. kind of about a, a family, okay. an American family, that uh, they're kind of rising, they're changing fortunes. Are they like the, trapeze artists? Uh, no, they're just yeah. a wealthy family. Okay. Well, they're, yeah, the they're a wealthy family. is just... Yeah, that's their reputation. Okay. Yeah, and it's a little ironic, but... Um, it's it's a really terrific movie. You can really do your own, your own podcast about the behind-the-scenes stuff, because Orson Welles just had a real serious conflict with the studio, they ended up taking the movie out of his hands when he was in post production, and they cut out like a, almost an hour of it, and then just released it like that. Still, a terrific movie, and got an Academy Award nomination wow. for Best Picture. You know, it does have some choppiness. It doesn't come together really well, and like the. It's a shame because the faults that are there are clearly not the movie's fault. And there's no DVD with deleted scenes. Nothing. I mean, the the legendary lost footage from the Magnificent Ambersons is kind of like the Holy Grail from oh, really? movie so They talk about this and nobody knows where it is. The studio doesn't know where it is. Nobody. No, it's lost. Nobody really? knows where it is. Yeah, there's <laughs> there there's a funny story. One of the times Siskel and Ebert were on I think the uh, David Letterman show. Siskel was there. Roger was telling the story about how they were at a screening, uh, talking about how they have to see movies no matter how bad they are. And they were watching this movie. Uh, I think it was Jungle to Jungle. Big flop from the, 70, from the 90s. And the uh, while they were in the screening, the custodian came out and said, I apologize that we're missing a reel, so it'll be a while before we put it back in. And Roger said, Gene turned to the guy and said, if the last reel is the legendary footage from the Magnificent Ambersons, this movie would still suck. 
So yeah, I I like I love that story. Okay, that is a good story. Yeah, I've never heard that. The talk of the town. Talk of the town. That You've sounds seen like it. something I've seen. You have seen it, Cary Grant. Cary Grant. And Gene um, Arthur. Yeah, Gene Arthur and Mama Coleman. That's the one where he's like a mill worker who's accused of arson, and he like escapes yeah. jail, hides out in. And Gene oh, Arthur's right. cottage, yes. where there's a Supreme Court justice or nominated the Supreme Court. Dang. Yeah, staying there. Right. So he's trying to prove his innocence, but he can't like reveal his identity to the guy in the house, but they right. still become friends. It's terrific. I see. It, it is terrific. Yeah. I remember that. That was delightful. Yes. Um, Random Harvest is okay. a. Yeah, it's based on a very popular novel at the time. It's um, kind of a tearjerker with like a, a cheesy amnesia storyline okay. where uh, I guess it's Ronald Coleman again and Greg Garson, oh, who's having, right. she's really yeah. having a moment. She's So two in one year. Two Best Picture nominees, and these are the two biggest yeah. hits of the year. Right, because Newsflash, she's Mrs. Miniver. She's Mrs. Miniver, yeah. <laughs> uh, the Top grossing movie of the year and the second top grossing movie Have of the year. Have I seen you seen Goodbye, Mr. Chips? No, is that another movie? She was in um, the 1940 version of Pride and Prejudice oh. as Elizabeth. We have Random Harvest. Okay. Big hit. The you know amnesia stuff is kind of silly, but once you get past that, it's uh, it's it's pretty absorbing. Little tearjerker. Also, person who's having a moment this year is Teresa Wright, okay. who is the lead of the Pride of the Yankees, which is the biggest, um, probably the biggest competition for Mrs. Spinnerer. Okay. Got eleven nominations. It's the story of Lou Gehrig. Right. Um, have you seen Pride of the Yankees? I don't think I have because okay. I'm a Red Sox fan. But. Right. I know we're not supposed to say bad things about Lou Gehrig even now, but I know I still haven't been there to see it. But. Yeah, but you've heard like the speech of today, I'm the luckiest man. On the face I've of heard the that right. phrase from the speech. Yeah, okay. uh, Gary Cooper. Anyways, oh, Teresa Wright. Gary Cooper played yeah. Lou Gehrig. Oh, Gary Cooper played Lou Gehrig. Teresa Wright played his wife. Teresa She's Wright was in Mrs. Miniver. Yeah. Yeah. What's her name? As Carol. Carol, right. Yeah. So she had her film so debut. Two, both actresses from Mrs. Miniver were nominated in two, two. Best Picture winners. Were they? They were in two. Best they were in two Best Picture winners. Were right. either of them nominated for yeah. either Best or Screen? Well, yeah. Uh, they were both nominated for Best Actress. Wow. And then Teresa Wright was also nominated for Supporting Actress. So she she's supporting in for. Best and Supporting Actress yes. in a single year. Yes. Did she get them both? We'll talk about the winners later. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, but that's happened, like, I think eight other times. Really? Someone gets nominated twice in a year, yeah. Has anybody ever won twice in a year? No. Okay, so now I know that she hasn't won no. twice. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Um, so, yeah, and she's actually the... This, this is her second and third film. She was in The Little Foxes the year before where she got a Best Supporting Actress nomination. So she's still the only person to be nominated for her first three movies. Wow. And she was yeah. very young. She, she was, was very young. young, yeah. Yeah, we'll see her again in the best years of our lives. Yeah. Um, so... Is she, as an elderly woman, is she still... Uh, she's passed away now. Um, she? She's been in some stuff. Her, her career really didn't survive much after the 40s. Um, yeah, had, she didn't have a lot Angela of... Angela Lansbury. Yeah, no, she's, she, her last movie, she had a supporting role in The Rainmaker, which is the Matt Damon movie in the late 90s about the, the John Grisham movie. Um, yeah, I think that was her last movie, and okay. she passed, I think, in the early 2000s. Okay. Bonnie, can yes. you tell us what Mrs. Miniver is about? Mrs. Miniver is the story of a normal family in Great Britain, in, in somewhere in England, uh, in yeah. Great Britain somewhere, mm -hmm. 
and there it's composed of the mother and the father, and they have two younger children, a boy and a girl, maybe early grade school ages, and then an older son who is portrayed as about 18, coming back from his first semester of, of college. So it centers on this family, the Miniverse, and they live in this, um, they have this sort of idyllic small town life mm-hmm. that runs up into World War II. So, yeah, so it depicts this family as they have all yes. the, the normal issues and then all of a sudden... Or World War II runs into their life. World yeah. War II runs into their life. Yes, yes, kind of invades their idyllic little hamlet there. That's as I understand. <laughs> is hamlet um, not a good term for it? No, it is a hamlet. Okay. Yes. Not to be confused. So, hamlet, with the play, yes, play. and a movie, which a we'll movie, get to at some point. Which we will get to. Uh, what did you think of Mrs. Minerva? I enjoyed it. Yeah. yeah, I literally knew nothing about it mm-hmm. um, ahead of time. I watched it mostly. Adam, my husband, came in mm-hmm. during. You've met him. I know Adam, yes. <laughs> and Laura. You've met Laura, our daughter. Laura's, Laura's great, son. yes. And they came in during part of it, and um, so I watched most of it with them. And yeah, Adam stayed awake through the whole thing, which he wow. never does. And the thing that he was remarking on that we're we were both remarking on, but it's really noticeable because he stayed awake, is that these old movies have a way of of not having any like action like we would call action nowadays. Right. Until the very end, obviously. Right. Until there's mm-hmm. a couple of scenes right at the end. But there's but it, it kinda grips you, you know, that it has a way of building interest and suspense without special effects and all of that you kind of get taken up in their lives. So, and it was it was a story that I could identify with, just as you know, as a military spouse and military mom. My husband has definitely been in you know in war, and my son-in-law and mm-hmm. my kids have been deployed and such. But my son-in-law really in the thick of yeah well i bet you could even identify even though you wouldn't have had this experience but the signal that he's able to give her with the plane engine yeah right yeah it was very sweet (laughs) yeah yeah i don't have any none of my kids are pilots although i do have a son-in-law who is in flight school yes god willing he won't need to give us a symbol as he's off to the no yeah great yeah. yeah. So yeah, um, I've actually I've been expecting Mrs. Miller to drop for a while now uh-huh. because it gets a lot of it. Just it takes a lot of heat as you know. It's usually used as an example of a movie that used to be popular that's now really dated. People say it's overly sentimental. It's written off as wartime propaganda. And this is my third time seeing it, and I have to say I've liked it better every time. Okay. And I, I, I kind of love the Suspenderer. And I take issue with all three of those things. And let me start off with the sentiment. Because it's not that those three things aren't true, but I think they're more... To the extent that they are true, they're more a description than a criticism. Because it definitely has a message that it wants you to cross. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it can be, you can call it propaganda in that sense, uh-huh. but really, right. most it's, movies have a yeah. point. Right. So, exactly. yeah. um, I suppose that one man's propaganda is another man's, you know, good point. Yeah. Yeah, so it definitely has a message that makes clear. Yeah, and as far as the sentiment goes, I think what I really admired about the movie is how well it kind of regulates the tonal shifts from the really trivial moments of life, like the buying a hat and the car and the rose, the contest, and balances that 
into the more intense moments of these life or death situations. Yeah, and it kind of it kind of puts them, you know, it really sets it up that way. Right. And no, it's it like does. Purposely doing this. Mm-hmm. Right. So with so well, starting with the hat and the car thing, I'm kind of curious to know since you went in not knowing anything yeah. when you're seeing this woman buying her hat. Like, what, what do you do you think? What, yeah. what what kind of movie is this yeah. going to be? Well, it's really funny because um, yeah, that hat scene. Because nowadays it's, I feel like I've only seen this in old movies, probably mm-hmm. movies from the '40s, where they're really into buying hats, and apparently yeah. hats were really expensive, and that was a very yeah, it was an interesting scene, and it, it was very sort of traditional role, family roles right. where her job, it portrays her job as a stay-at-home mom is really a shopper. <laughs> right, yes. <laughs> you know, her job is to go into the town during mm-hmm. the day and shop. Buy stuff. Right. <laughs> it seems like a Well, it sets up their marriage too. It sets their, up their marriage. Their, yeah. um, it's a he, he introduction. A, yeah, he makes a, a very I mean they they, they they call them middle class. Right. But they have uh, it's the way that all of us who are middle class would like mm-hmm. to be middle class. Yeah. Because they have like they seem to be live in staff. Yeah, at their house, do. and mm-hmm. the house is not like overly grand. It's like a nice Leave It to Beaver house, to be honest. Right, yeah. and it's American Dream or British. <laughs> yeah, right. But it, it it's yeah. Good. Well, and I think that's what it kind of really does a good job of setting up because it's they're not obscenely wealthy because right. their conflict is. What Should can we afford this or yeah. can we not? Right. But what they're wondering whether they can afford are luxuries. So it's right, like exactly. they have a, a comfortable life, yeah. not obscenely wealthy, but they're yeah. they're it's that comfort that's being um, disrupted. And it's not um, it's not like jewelry she's buying. It's a hat, right? You know? And it is a decorative hat, but it's one that she. I mean, I'm certain, especially at that point, like you would probably wear a hat. And like, I don't wear a hat when I go to church. I, know. I go to church every Sunday. I never wear a hat. But at that point, you would have worn a hat at many occasions. Yeah. You know, as a woman, you'd wear it multiple mm-hmm. times a week, I'm sure, whenever you went out. So it would be, you know, should I spend it on this luxury, but that I'm also going to mm-hmm. use a lot. And then he is having the same conflict. His is on a, a new car. Yeah. He doesn't, you know, so it's not on a, I don't know, a watch or a, yeah, you know, a, a boat. A boat <laughs> or something like that. Yes. But it's on, you know, something that also has practic- practical use. And uh, yeah, so mm-hmm. it's, they, they, it does sort of show their uh, sort of repertoire between the two of them, but it's non conflictual. They work these things out really well and have a good laugh about it at the end. And then the the other kind of um, trivial, quote-unquote trivial thing is the Rose Contest. Yeah. Which is really the, the only story arc that we have through the whole movie. Yes, but we need to it's talk good. about an important character Yeah, that we haven't brought up. Well, this. you're the one who did the summary. <laughs> That's true. That's Which true. Character? Yeah, so they introduced the, uh, this Rose show with, that's where we meet Clarence. Mm-hmm. Well, no, no. Yeah. His, he <laughs> right. Clarence in this movie. His name is, what is his name? Mr. Ballard. Mr. Ballard. In Henry Travers. Yeah. And he's like, I don't know what his job is, but when they get off the train, Green he like... He does he work at the train station or he's like there to let them into their neighborhood or something? Yeah, I think. Ah, uh, that's a good question because he's there with the other. Are they ring bells yeah, and stuff? Right, so it's almost like at, he had some sort of service role in mm-hmm. this neighborhood. Yeah, and it's Clarence from the. It's a Wonderful Life. Right. So the Clarence, the angel. So as soon as he comes up, 
have no idea what this actor's name is, but it's like, oh. Hello, Travers. Oh, yeah, okay. Well, I didn't know that, but mm-hmm. actually Laura was the one who was like, oh, it's Clarence. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, he's like, and I recognized him right away, but uh, what, what, I would have come up with the name, but uh, I didn't have to because she did. So Clarence plays um, that role in this, and he's the one who was a gardener and developed this new rose that he was going to enter mm-hmm. into the rose show or the flower show that is like clearly a big deal in this town, like the big event probably every year. And um, and he it, and he was he named it the Mrs. Minimer. Yeah. After the Greer Garson character. Mm-hmm. And basically because he just found her she's just so such a, a nice person. Yeah. Such a she's kind. she's just such a kind person. Always doing things, looking out for others, and just a, has that sort of kindness, that sort of pure, beautiful rose that it reminded him of. So mm-hmm. that was his gift to her, even though he's he's not. She was very touched by it. He's not actually giving her anything. He's just naming this rose in her honor, and that becomes him entering this rose in the flower show. Yeah, ends up being the major arc of the right. Uh, really the major arc of the story. So do you think the movie's title refers to the woman Mrs. Miniver or the flower? Yeah, so you had asked me this once before and Mm -hmm. it had never occurred to me up until that point because I just assumed it was about Mrs. Miniver who was this pleasant person. But as soon as you asked that question, Uh I was like, oh no, it's it's obviously about the flower. Right. It really is obviously about the flower. And she's not called Mrs. Miniver that often. She's yeah, like, she's true. Kay or Mother. Right. Right. You know, yeah, she, that's a good point. Yeah. I hadn't thought about that. But the flowers refer to as yeah, Mrs. Miniver. Yeah, the flowers always refer to as Mrs. Miniver. And the flower really represents all the, all, all the change and character growth that goes on. Um, yeah. Well, no, I think it is. First of all, it's through the flower that we meet Carol. Right. Who is uh, Teresa Wright, who we referred mm-hmm. to before. And she becomes a love interest for Vin, the oldest Miniver son. Um, but she's also very close with Kay, the mother, and, and the whole family. But she just, she, I think, had been studying elsewhere, right? Or, no, he was gone. Yeah. I, I, I don't remember the details, but I think they knew each other as kids, and uh-huh. now they're adults. And then adults. he had been gone off at college. He was gone off at college, right. He had all these mm-hmm. theoretical ideas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know. Oh, right. Um, yeah, so they have a little conflict at first because she wants A little them. bit of socialism in his... Right. I don't know if it was quite socialism, but... Yeah. yeah. But but sort Remember of the that. concern uh, about uh, a caste system and oh, society. Right. Yeah. Right. So that Yeah, was... and so her point uh, Carol comes over to try to say to try to talk she wants them to talk Clarence or Mr. Ballard. <laughs> Mr. <laughs> Ballard. We'll just call him Clarence. Clarence, yes. <laughs> talk Clarence out of putting the rose into the contest because of her grandmother is like the grand dam of the town, and she she seems to be the wealthiest mm, woman. Yeah, so yes. it initially seems like she's doing it out of a sense of kind of like elite privilege right. or wealthy privilege, and which is how definitely Vin took it. That's how he took the it, and it's a conflict. Yes. But I think the more we get to know her, it's more out of a sense of empathy. Where what the rose is, it's a trivial thing, but it represents just those trivial things that give life meaning. Right. And I think that's what the movie is getting at. And that's what she sees in her grandmother, is that this this is what's important to her. This is what's meaningful to her. And, and really, you get the sense as the movie goes on, because she does backtrack. On, mm-hmm. on this, when Vin objects, and yeah, and you know, she realizes I shouldn't have even brought it up. It's a big ask yeah. and stuff, 
But she's really, what she recognizes, it seems, in her grandmother is that her grandmother doesn't have a whole lot else. Right. Whereas the Minivers have so much more going for them. Less so Clarence, because I think that's why... I think that's why she pauses, because she looks at Mrs. Miniver, and yeah. it's like, well, you don't need more, but I, I do think the Clarence thing, she does, yeah. Mr. What's Mr. Ballard, Clarence, yeah, that gives her pause. Maybe because her pause. empathy expands, and right. she sees yes. what the rose means to him, yeah, and, and puts that in context of what it means to the mother, right. her, her grandmother, right. and so, so she's not it, this elitist... Um, right. She just asks for something, and then she's like, "Oh yes, I probably right." And she deals with them Sweet. very well. Yes. Yeah. She, oh, one thing that I I meant to ask is, coming in blind, were you able to tell which actors were faking the British accents the, and which uh, ones weren't? Well, first of all, I I'm terrible at that. I didn't even think about that. Oh, okay. You know, Clarence was he doing no. a British accent? I don't think he was. I don't know. He, he sounded, must have been, yeah. He sounded uh, the same. He's no, who is no. doing that? Oh, okay. I, mean, I only brought that up because when um, when Vin came on, I'm like, okay, this actor is American. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, and here he is. I, I only have one. I'll, I'll tell you, um, I was trying to keep everybody Walter straight. Pigeon, well, Clem, the Mr. Miniver, is American. Okay. So is Teresa Wright. Okay. Yeah, um, my only ew moment in this is when <laughs> I was having trouble. I was trying to keep the character straight, and oh, I know why. I it was when the Vin came into the picture, mm-hmm. he was being portrayed as her son, and then it was just like, wow, could that be her son? And then it was like, well, you know, if he were eighteen, and that was their first child, she'd be twenty. You know, she could be thirty-eight. I could yeah. see her as thirty-eight. And yeah. so I, I Googled her to find out her age. <laughs> yes. What did you find out? Yeah. I found out more than her age because it's, you know, you just see that one part of the, whatever mm-hmm. the screen that's on your phone and it gives you her first couple of spouses. Yeah. And I was like, wait, I just saw that name. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She married her son. She married her son. She married the actor who played her son. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if we're going to get to that, but that was like, I was like, she ends up marrying her son in the movie? Yeah. Okay, that's neither here nor there. That's not here nor there, but that that is an interesting, (laughs) kind of a fun fact about And like right after this movie. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Next year. I mean, this is probably where they met. Yeah. No, I mean, I'm I'm doing that. And then I'm watching the movie and I'm like. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Stop looking at it like that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But anyway, um, but the... Wait till we get to the Woody Allen movie. We'll have some oh, stories. But no. <laughs> oh, no. I, Well, you already know, I guess. Um, anyways, uh, Carol's delightful. Carol is delightful. And I think uh, we should have done a spoiler alert earlier. But we do. We talk about the whole movie, so if you haven't seen Mrs. Miniver, go see it. It's see delightful. It. It's delightful. Yeah, pause and then come back. It's not a long movie. No, it's not. Yeah. Yeah. And Carol is a, a lovely character. Yes. Uh, Vin is a little annoying. Mm-hmm. He yeah. is. I, I was convinced that he was going to die. I thought Or maybe Clem. Yeah. But, yeah, I was hoping it wasn't going to be Clem. Clem is the guy. Yeah, I know, but, but I thought that that yeah. might be coming. Not or that, that I was rooting gonna, for Finn to die, but it was... It's a movie know, about women. It really is a movie yeah. about women. It's and a, I thought one of them was going to lose their man. Yeah. But no, we lose one of them. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's really amazing because it's really those. It's Kay Miniver, yes. Carol, and then Carol's grandmother, who's Miss... What's her name? Yeah. Uh, Lady Belden. Yeah, Lady uh, Belden. Yeah. Uh, those are Lady the Heavens. three dominant characters in yeah. this movie. That um, and then the guys all play sort of the supporting, supporting roles to this. But definitely, Vin takes a a liking to Carol. And yeah, he's able to. Well, and going back her. to the over sentimentality. Oh right. The that complaint which I think is 
kind of felt a little easier to level against a movie that's has women yeah is about women because a lot of movies are sentimental like the top gun was sentimental with right. Netflix. right um text buddy with uh <laughs> ice man but uh yeah people don't say it's overly sentimental but i think that like the shows a lot of restraint particularly in that death scene and the way it happens where you hear the gunfire and you see Kay say, oh, did you hear that gunfire? And then cut to the bullet holes. In the car. In the roof of the car, yeah. yeah really powerful. Right. It was really powerful. And, it, and that's how you know that the Carol, alert, yeah, Carol's Carol, been shot and Carol, she's probably going to die. Yeah. yeah. And they had just been, you weren't expecting it because no. they were getting the... Then after we're well, both they just came from the from flower contest. Off. Well, from the flower contest, mm-hmm. no, they they had just come from dropping Vin off. Remember after okay, the flower right, contest, okay, right, they yeah. dropped Vin to go off to war. Mm-hmm. So they were a little later, and so things yeah. really started happening. And yeah, oh, she couldn't use her headlights. Oh right, they had to go yeah. really slow. They had to yeah. go slow, and they couldn't use their lights because yeah. they couldn't have the enemy planes see them mm-hmm. and so yeah and they just get caught in the middle of it and you know it's yeah. one of those you know like uh, yeah it's but it's film. just it's it's filmed so well and like you say and and that it goes back to the charge of it being dated which yeah. you know obviously it's clearly a 1942 yeah. movie it's not the sort of movie we make anymore. But, like, the term dated to me means, like, so, something that's so much of, of its era that we can't relate to it anymore. Yeah. And I don't, I think no, that I this is that very bad. relatable. Right. When and the family is in the bunker. Oh, yeah. Their backyard bunker with the, their two little kids. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could just, and they could just, yeah, okay it's very sophisticated really, filmmaking. Yeah, it really was. With like what we were talking about with that death scene, but then also the, you know, someone who sees a lot of movies from the 40s, there, there are deathbed scenes that go on and on, and they're so maudlin. Uh-huh. Um, the King's Row <laughs> uh, is one of those. But here, the way the death scene was shot, where William Wyler's the director, right? And he's shooting it from the bottom of the stairs with the Miniver right. household. You see the backs of, of the Minivers looking upstairs as Vin goes into the room where Carol is, and you see just by the shadows on the wall that he's going in to see her. And it's just so well done and so and And Wyler even sets it up in, I think, at the scene before when we see Kay coming out of that room, it's kind of from the same angle so that we already know that that's what those shadows mean or that right. reflection against the wall. And it almost feels like you're down there with the right. family mm-hmm. waiting. Yeah, um, you're a member you're of not, the family. Right, but you're a member of the family, but you're not, like, up there with it. Yeah. You know, you're not, like, you're not Vin. You're, you know, like almost like one of the kids or... Right. Close neighbor or something that you're mm-hmm. watching from that. Yeah, I thought it was, there were many points in there that I thought had very sophisticated, subtle, you know, all the drama, the dramatic points were, yeah, were done really well. They really mm-hmm. kept you on the edge of your Yeah, seat. I thought so too. That Adam stayed awake for the whole That's an achievement. Yeah. So the, well, we didn't really talk about the confrontation in the kitchen with right. the soldier. Yeah. Another really well shot sequence, especially when she's looking, staring at the gun. Right. Right. And, and we have the. Her husband is gone, her son is he's gone. He's off at Dunkirk. Right. Right. Which we haven't even gotten into that part. We haven't gotten into that yet. Yeah. yeah. But, yeah, so it's. She's home with the kids, yeah, and maybe the other women who are her 
staff mm-hmm. right. are at home. And then there's a German pilot, right, right, that is wounded that enters their home. Yeah. And it's very dramatic. It's very dramatic. It's so poignant. Yeah. And especially, there's... here's the thing I thought, for a movie who, we haven't gotten to the climactic scene, which I think we'll get to really soon here, but the for um, at the last scene is just very lets you know right you know get on our side because you oh know, yeah bad things are happening the sir, people are in doing the church it. right in the church that yeah. that epic scene in the church so you have this they could really portray this pilot this german pilot as inhuman oh yeah but they tr- portray him in a very human He's not trying to kill them, although he's dangerous. He's very dangerous, yeah. Uh, he's a danger uh, to them, but he's wounded. He's, he he's, just wants he something. He wants food and, food and milk. And milk. And he's not like, they could have even portrayed him trying to get alcohol. You know, right. Or something like that. But he just yeah. wants like the basic necessities of life. Yeah. And then to get out of there. Yeah. And... Anyway. And, but it's also not too soft because he is right. dangerous. And I love the mirroring that William Wyler does with, because that tension of whether or not to reach for the gun. Yes. We kind of see this shot twice where the gun right. is by his hand first with yeah. outside when she first finds him. Right. But then also he gets knocked out later. Yes. And so it, it's right. kind of a, the one informs the other because right. first the time she fails. Yeah. Too because the kids are there. Right. You know, it's not just her. She's clearly terrified. Mm-hmm. I, it's so, it's really powerful. Yeah. And I and think he's relatable. A, yeah. I mean, not that we have these things going on. No. But like, you could. We know what she's feeling. Right. You you know, because you, you need to be able to defend your family. And then, yeah. yet you also have this, like, wounded human being. Who's there. a pilot, like her son. Oh, I hadn't thought yeah. about that. Right. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> wow, I hadn't even thought about that. Yeah. Yeah, so, uh, well, you said we get into Dunkirk, so. Yeah, Dunkirk, anything? who I am very sad to say. Yeah. I knew very little about it, and it was really amazing. So, um, watching it with Adam, he was very familiar mm-hmm. with Dunkirk, as in maybe, I don't know, I guess just. He just knows about it, but mm-hmm. anyway. So that what a traumatic, uh, an amazing story. So basically, yeah. do you want to describe what goes on at Dunkirk? Uh, sure. Who uh, um, German? I'm sorry, British soldiers. A, a large troop is kind of stranded between the enemy and the sea. They're up on this peninsula, or kind of the spit of land, and they're sitting ducks for the Germans, and they can't. The British can't send in their warships or planes because they're being watched by the enemy. So their um, civilians, people who run riverboats and fishing boats, they yeah. risk their lives to cross yeah. the channel to right. rescue these men. And right, and so their home, going into war. Right, their home was on a river, as yeah. there must have been a river running through this town. Yeah, and their home was on a river, so they had a boat. So it was just her husband was yeah. one of them who. They thought they were going out on some sort of patrol to protect the the town, and then they told them, "Okay, we're going to Dunkirk," and they went on for weeks. Yeah, and, and I think that shows a lot of restraint not to follow it to right, that exciting yeah, moment. It just, and it kind of, oh, as as big of a thing as that was for British morale, it's it kind of underplays it because it's yeah. more concerned with the home front, right? No, and it's so very I, much yeah. Less, yeah. So I think like that's. When we talk about it being propaganda, there's a lot yeah. of restraint that it shows yeah. as well. And I think purposely, probably, because... So it ends in the scene in the church, which we've been in the church before. Mm-hmm. and But this time, it's now completely bombed out. There's no ceiling in it. So you still recognize yeah. it as the church. And then you're there... For I don't know if it was a memorial service or it was just during the service. Yeah. They right, were I think it was the sermon during their service. Yeah. And so it was. I thought it was going to be about Carol. Right. 
I thought that's why everybody was there, but then they were listing who had died, and it was a young choir boy. We yeah. know it's a choir that's the first boy. one we find out about, right? right. Not we're our not named heard. characters, but we right. and we see the empty seat. We just see the empty seat of so powerful. Yeah, a young choir boy, and it's Carol, and then it's Clarence. Yeah. We didn't know about Clarence. We had no that, idea. Yeah. We don't find out till then. Yeah, and then we have Finn see. looking back at Lady right. Belden's yeah. seat yeah, in she church. She had her own little place in church. Yeah, and, yeah, and it's very, that's very well made. That because yeah. it does, it's very well made in setting up that we know that church right in its intact form and where people sit and everything. Right. So that that scene is yeah. even more powerful when we get because to it. Because that's the, yeah, people and everybody, well, not everybody, but especially in the 40s, you know, most people could identify with just going to church. And everybody that they talked about dying weren't the soldiers, weren't right. the fathers no. and sons. These were the little boy, the old yeah. man, the young woman. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, and, and then it, it gives that, I don't remember what the final message was, but I remember it was just like basically, you know. Yeah get fired up because this is unjust what's happening here. So it was really powerful. I was I was I really enjoyed watching this movie. I did too. Uh so I mentioned the name of the director, William Wyler, a few times. Billy Wilder? Wilder? Not Billy Wilder. Okay. Another great director. Okay, yeah. Marilyn Monroe, Some Like It Hot. Yes. So Yep. We'll see a couple more of his movies. We will. Two more. Right. Yes. Some like it hot. Get nominated? No. no. Did not win? It That's lost to a William Wyler movie, actually. What? It lost, well, it wasn't nominated, but it's the same year as Ben Hur, which is directed oh. by William Wyler. Oh, okay. So, yeah, Billy so, Wilder will have two movies. So there's out. a William Wilder? Billy a, Wilder and, and William Wyler. Right? But they're basically, they're both first names are Williams. Yes. And what are their last yeah. names? Wyler and Wilder. Okay. Yes. Very good. It's a good definition. Yes. Yeah, they're both terrific directors from uh, Eastern Europe. Really? Yes. So that's interesting. It's an Eastern European. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's Eastern European. Uh, and he's directing. Weiler. Yeah. He's directing. He movie. directs. Yeah, he was a powerhouse studio director. He directed like 150 so movies. So we're from. Where was he from? So had they been already taken over by the Nazis? Uh, I think he came like in the 20s. Okay. When I looked it up. So he was in... Um, oh, he's from Germany, so not Eastern, near me. But um, he is Jewish, so it's... Uh, oh, okay. Good thing he left in the yeah. 20s. Uh, Billy Wilder was too. Uh, but at any rate. Okay, um, they're both Jewish from. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know William Wilder from The Children's Hour? The Children's Hour with um, Audrey Hepburn? Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. Um, the little kid that, that makes up a rumor about them. Yeah. And then, yeah. Oh my gosh, the gossip movie? Yeah. That was fantastic. So people should go watch that. Yeah. That's not going to be on our watch list? Yeah. No. Children's no. Hours, not. We no. get, we do get two more William Wilder movies. Ben I Her, highly recommend that people should go watch Ben Her that. and the and Best Years of Our Lives. Don't gossip. Yeah, gossip's bad. Gossip's bad. And um, he also did. Um, you, you've seen Roman Holiday, right? Yes. Yes. Uh, he yeah he has a bunch of credits. Okay. Yeah. He's the only person who's directed three Best Picture winners. Really? Yes. So. This one, mm-hmm. Ben Hur. Ben Hur, and the best yeah. years of our lives. Okay, and the best years of our lives. What years? We'll are see those too again. Forty-six. Oh, okay. So he wins again. When's Ben Hur? Ben Hur's in fifty-nine. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. So, Bobby, Dennis, Mrs. Miniverum. Yes. Gets twelve nominations. Okay. Right behind it, actually, is uh, the. Part of the Yankees with 11. Uh-huh. This is the first okay. year two movies get more than 10 nominations. Right. Isn't that interesting? Uh, yes, it is, Dennis. But this is Miniver. <laughs> it's the first time? Yes. Wait, this is 40- 42. 42. Right. Yeah. 
So, Mrs. Miniver is also the first movie to get five acting nominations. What? Five Wait. acting nominations. So, so that's not... That, okay, so best actor, best actress, best supporting actor, best supporting actress. Yes. What would be the fifth? Well, okay. in the forties, you can have two actors from the same movie in in any of those four categories. Really? Yeah. Oh, so like Alma and Louise, they were both up for best actress. Oh, interesting. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Okay, so well, we already know Greer Garson. Yes. Uh, for best actress, and we know. Teresa Wright for Best Supporting Actress. Yes, they both won. And they both won. So those two I know. For Best Supporting, maybe they had two. Maybe was was Mrs., was her grandmother up for Best Supporting Actress? Name Edith Evans? Yes. Okay. She, was, uh, she okay. was nominated for Best Supporting Actress. Okay. And then was Vin nominated for... What would he be? Supporting actor, or were there uh, any? He probably would have been supporting, but he didn't. He, he wasn't up for that. What about Clarence? Yes, he, for supporting yeah, actor. Henry Travers was nominated oh. for supporting actor. For supporting actor. Yes. Okay, so now we've got three of them. No, is that three? No, one, two, three, four of them. Yes. And so then was was uh, the dad a best mm-hmm. actor nominee? Yes. Okay, so that's. So you get the mom and the dad, Mr. and Mrs. Miniver. You have Clarence. His name isn't Clarence in the movie. And then you have the two supporting actresses. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then, Uh, so all five of them were up, but not all five of them won. No, just the two women won. Two women won. Two of the women. Yeah. And um, Edith Havens lost to Teresa Wright. Uh, Walter Pigeon who played Clem lost Best Actor to um, the movie we talked about, Ricky Little Dandy. James Cagney won his own okay. Oscar. Uh, he was great. Wrapping up 1942, we've got um, a bunch of really good Best Picture nominees and uh, a good winner who yeah. deserved to win. I mean, I didn't see any of the rest of them. Yeah. So next, you know, see your... You saw the talk of the town. Did I? Yes. Yes, the carrier one. So the not nominated in this year is, uh, there's a lot of great movies. <laughs> this is a really good year for movies. Now Voyager, uh, one of uh, Betty Davis's best movies. Oh. Sullivan's Travels um, and The Palm Beach Story are both comedies by Preston Sturges. Uh, really good, especially Sullivan's Travels. Uh, to Be or Not to Be, I don't know if you saw that maybe that's, that's from Ernst Ernst Lubitsch, yeah. Uh, that's, he's a great comic director, but it's kind really? of a it yeah. It's about that? actors, actors and Nazis. It's a comedy about the. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You have to yeah, you have to see that. It's, it's hilarious. Okay. And Bambi is from the show. Walt Disney's Bambi. Oh really? Yes. Oh. So good year for movies. Yeah, um, really good I, you know, I would probably. What was the first? Bambi was not the first one. Snow White. No, was Snow White in the Seven Dwarfs. Yeah, which is thirty-seven. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so good year. Um, you know, I had a lot of great things to say about Mrs. Spinover. I don't think it would be my favorite of the year, but it's kind of a game of inches. I don't. Uh, certainly, like Casablanca, if, if it were eligible. It, well, and so we said we'd get to that. That movie's yeah. just in a different level. I, I like yeah. Mrs. Miniver a lot. It's right. it's yeah, not yeah. it's not Casablanca. Right. I kind of think Mrs. Miniver would have beaten Casablanca. You do? If in that wow. time, in that time, if, I mean, yeah. if you look at contemporary reviews, Mrs. Miniver got. Better yeah. notices and it was a bigger hit. It's yeah. more, it's more sincerely about the war effort right. that yeah, was yeah. on Trying people's minds than uh, in that time. Yeah, yeah, Mrs. Which, Miniver, I mean, so 
Casablanca's definitely oh, yeah. has it, the staying power. It does have the staying power. Yeah, so, uh, I mean, I think uh, most people would say Casablanca would win, but I don't think I'm, it would I'm trying have. to think. Casablanca really is kind of a timeless movie. Oh, yeah. I saw it again not that long ago on a flight. Mm-hmm. It was great. Yeah. I love it. Okay. Yeah, it's terrific. So, so I, I actually of think these that, movies yeah. this year, what would you have voted for? Maybe Mrs. Miniver? Of the nominees? Yeah, of the nominees. Yeah, I, I would probably go with um, The Magnificent Ambersons. Okay. Or Yankee Doodle Dandy. But, you know, if someone says uh, Mrs. Miniver, I wouldn't fight them too hard on it. Right. It's it's like a game of interest. They're kind of what, on the what one not very good list. Of which one, if it had won, would you have fought on it? Which uh, King's Row, have... I think, is the least uh-huh. of it. Okay. So, yeah, that wouldn't... Would it would lower. break a lot lower. And I actually, I think... I think both Mrs. Miniver and Casablanca are really lucky about that rules thing because, first of all, I don't think Casablanca would have won, and I think Mrs. Miniver would be get a lot more hate if it had beaten Casablanca. Oh, I think it'd be a lot lower than 67. Oh, yeah. If, it, if it's, that's right, the movie right. that beat Casablanca. So beating King's Row and Yankee Doodle Dandy is the, right. yeah. and the Magnificent Ambersons. The Magnificent Ambersons. Ambersons. Pride of the Yankees. You know, good year. Yeah. Okay. So, and also 1942, we can't leave, on, leave it on the table. It is what happened in January... No, that was the previous December um, on January 13th. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes, we do have to. Yes, <laughs> our mother so was then, born in, mother was born. in 1942. <laughs> so, That's yes. right. That was a good year for us. <laughs> yeah. Happy uh, birth year, Mom. Yeah. <laughs> um, so... Coming up next is our number 66 Which movie, is going to be what? Which is going to be um, My Fair Lady, my 1964. Fair lady. Get ready for it. I've yes. seen it. Yes. I have to. Okay. Okay. Well, join us next week for My Fair Lady. Signing off. <laughs>